Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. and welcome to the Proactive Caregiving Podcast. As a CPA with over 20 years as an industry accountant, Jessica stepped away from the corporate world to become a full-time caregiver for her mother. Having learned invaluable lessons along the way, she is now here to share those with you and to invite you to join her on this caregiver's journey. Here is your host, Jessica Cannon. Hello, everybody. I'm glad you're here with me today. I am the Proactive Caregiver, and I specialize in educating others on how to be proactive. Because if you cannot take care of yourself, then you cannot take care of your loved one. Today I want to talk to you about caregiver flashbacks. You may not experience this, and some of you may know exactly what I'm talking about. These are the unexpected childhood flashbacks that come up during your caregiver day. You know, these are those moments that we're going about our day. We may actually be wishing we were somewhere else. We may actually be daydreaming about a vacation or just anything other than where you are in that moment. And this flashback is something that just kind of bubbles up and it's something that you don't expect. You don't um, know, possibly even remember where it would have come from until you're in this moment, you're helping your loved one. You're either helping to shower them. You're helping to dress them. You're helping them with a meal or perhaps uh, exercise. And this flash comes in and it brings up this little bubble of an old haunting kind of feeling that attaches to a moment, a past moment of anger, resentment, disgust, betrayal, fear, possibly even hatred. And you're asking yourself, where did that come from? But even if you try and move past it and you try and continue on with your day, those flashbacks, that bubble has already surfaced. And so those flashbacks start bringing in this new thought process. And it becomes like this gum stuck to the mental shoe, so to speak. This is the moments, the reason why today's guest with me today is Lane Morris Buckman. She is a writer, an illustrator. She, by day, writer, also masquerading as a techie. But her professional resume includes a, an abundance of projects. One of them is the cozy mystery called The Tiara Trouble. And another, The Early Reader, which is more of a picture book, My Rainbow World. And I love it, even Smutty Romance, called uh, Playing All the Angles. And she writes under the pen name Nicole Lane for those. But amongst the vampire novels and the cozy mysteries, 
And Lane also includes nonfiction contributions about parenting. She was also a cast member of the 2015 production of Listen to Your Mother, Austin, where she shares a beautiful story called My Son Hits Like a Girl, which is a love letter to her own mother about how she did all the things right as a parent. And now, another reason why I wanted to have her on, in addition to today's topic, she has her most recent book that is going to be released May 12th of 2022, titled Taking Away the Keys. Lane's unique way of storytelling she brings about what caregivers experience when we go into these roles and we switch from being their child and we step in to parent our parents. And it brings along those emotional challenges one way or another. If you didn't have them in the beginning, they eventually come through with those caregiver flashbacks. Because we all experience those moments, those rites of passage. I had it once as a teenager and now I'm experiencing it again as an adult. Getting away from my my mother trying to leave and begin career elsewhere. I just kind of assumed I was stepping away and getting out of Dodge and everything else was going to be left in the rearview mirror. But caregiving has this uncanny way of removing that mental curtain and allowing these feelings to surface. The feelings that we thought were just gone and buried. So that is exactly why I'm glad to have Lane on with me today. Thanks for joining me today, Lane. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. In our discovery chats, you had made a statement that just really resonated with me so much because it made me think of my own mother and our situation. You had said that you started to parent your mother the way you wished you would have been parented. And I found myself doing the same thing because it helped me to stay calm and observe her and be able to react differently than what she did. Did you find yourself doing any of that as you began to parent your mom? I did. My mother did so much right. She did a lot of things really, really right. But my mother was also the product of some very traumatic child abuse. And she carried that into her parenting. So she did a lot right, but she was also abusive. And a lot of the things she did, she did very wrong. So when I took over as her caregiver, I realized I have this opportunity to treat her not only the way I wish she had treated me, mm -hmm. but I had this really amazing opportunity to treat her the way I wish her mother had treated her. Right. And to care for her and give her the kind of security she didn't have as a child. And in part, thanks to that childhood trauma, I am really good at dissociating. <laughs> I probably shouldn't <laughs> joke about that because it's not healthy. But I'm also really good at compartmentalizing. And so that allowed me to be able to kind of take a step back inside myself when I'm in a hard situation with my mother and yes, observe and watch her and be able to see what she needs in the moment mm -hmm. and kind of take a deep breath, 
and then do what she needs rather than what is going to sometimes just soothe my ego. Yeah. Oh, yes. I I have those moments. You got to smooth the feathers back. <laughs> I know exactly what you're relating to. So I think it's really interesting that your mother has a name similar to a face, famous baseball player. And I know the audience doesn't know yet, but can you tell me who Joe Young is to you and what she was like? Yes. So my mother uh, was a, an amazing athlete. Unfortunately, had, you know, medical issues have taken away a lot of her innate abilities. But I grew up with a woman who could do anything. She, she danced. She uh, played baseball. She played softball. She boxed a golden glove boxer twice wow. bare and knocked him out both times. <laughs> My mother was just an incredible natural athlete. And when she was in high school, her senior year in high school, a scout from the Cardinals major league baseball team came to her tiny town in Georgia looking for Joe Young because they had heard about Joe Young, this baseball phenom. <laughs> And who they found was Joan, J-O-A-N. Right. They called her. They found her and the the Cardinal Scout told her it was a shame she was a girl because <sighs> they would have put her on the farm team that year. Wow. And my mom said she just shrugged at him and said, well, I'm sorry, and went back to her game because what else could she do? But that uh, that's who my mother was growing up, just this almost mythical athlete to me because I am as coordinated and graceful as she is I am clumsy and accident prone oh, so. <laughs> I bet that was a much of a challenge for both of you because yeah. you know I experienced a little bit of this on, on my side of it where I grew up with a mother that was a teacher so she was always wanting me to be the straight A student the overachiever you know, the person that made her glow at work as a teacher might, I'm a teacher, my child is wonderful, but I, I wasn't exactly the wonderful student or the, or the straight A student. So you had the mother that was the coach and mm -hmm. probably trying to pass down her talent to you. But what did it feel like as a mother that wanted to raise you more of what seemed like a tomboy? She tried so hard. <laughs> Uh, because my she really believed that she could coach anybody into athletic success. And I just fell literally and failed out of every sport I attempted. I, and I know that was incredibly disappointing to her. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that my mother did really right was when she figured out that I was never going to follow in her footsteps. She tried to find what I was good at. And then she learned about what I was good at so she could coach me into that success. Nice. So there was always this piece of me and there was always a piece of her that was really disappointed that I could not do what she had done or, mm. or even come near what she had done. But at the same time, she was so proud of what I could do that that's something that she really did right. Right. And it's amazing that you say that because now I, I'm, again, a flashback. I'm realizing that my own mother um, was not athletically inclined, and I was. And so I was the flip side of that. And so we didn't really have something to connect on. Um, it wasn't the mother-daughter. It was I was daddy's girl. 
because daddy wanted to go to the games and be the, the proud, you know, father of the sport, whatever sport I was, I was in different sports, but it's always wanting something that we didn't have at that point in time. So as you were going through your childhood with your mother, you mentioned she came from an abusive background. And mm-hmm. what I realized with my own is that a lot of times hurt people hurt people. Yes. Not intentionally. It's just the way we were programmed. It's the way we learned to, how to interact with each other. Um, so as you are, I guess, approaching your caregiving journey with your mother, that is, she most likely was also raised with that idea of spare the rod, spoil the child which makes it very difficult. I grew up hearing that a couple of times and it was the justification for some of the butt whoopings. I don't know how else to say, you know, get spanked for not following rules. Was your mother one to spare the rod for you when you were growing up? My mother didn't spare anything. I mean, there was a rod, there was a belt, there was a hairbrush, <laughs> anything she could get her hand on, sandals. Uh, ping pong paddles, wooden spoon. She carried a wooden spoon in her purse with her oh, so wow. that it was packed up when we were out. But she'd just take me to the bathroom and tear me up. Mm. Um, yeah, there was no- nothing was spared. <laughs> As you're going through this, how do these flashbacks look like for you? I know uh, a lot of people that grew up in my I'm Gen X and Gen X spanking was still a really big thing. You know, Mm. parents spanked and and parents still spank. My parents did more than that. uh, My parents did not just spank me as punishment for something I had done wrong. Uh, They they abused me. So uh, sometimes with my mother, I'll have like a flashback of something that happened. And I talk in the book about something in particular that happened where I, I have really thin, fine hair and I was a pageant child. So I, my mother would get me dressed up for pageants and she would do it by back combing my hair into just like a giant puff ball. And then she'd use hairpins to make it look like an actual hairstyle mm-hmm. so I had like I would have a beehive and then she would <laughs> work it but in order to get my hair into that beehive she would back comb it using one of those old plastic goody hairbrushes. and if you know what I'm talking about mm-hmm. the goody hairbrushes had ridges on the back mm-hmm. like sharp ridges and I was supposed to sit perfectly still while my mother did my hair because she did not want to be doing my hair and she did not like my hair and it just, it made her very angry. And so she would be like doing battle with my hair. And if I flinched or if I cried out, she would flip that hairbrush around and just hit me on the top of the head as hard as she could with that hairbrush. Mm. And, you know, people are like, oh, she just bopped you on the head. No, Mm-mm. she really would strike me with that hairbrush. So I, I have some issues around hairbrushes. <laughs> Uh, when my mother moved into memory care, she moved into memory care after an extended hospital stay. Uh, and 
you know, after an extended hospital stay, your hair gets a little bit matted. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to help her comb out her hair. And I was being as gentle as I possibly could because it's such an old head. I wanted to be nice to it. And she started putting her hands up on top of her head and ow, ow, ow. And my, oh, I just had this natural inclination. I wanted to hit her. Just something rose up in me and I wanted to hit her on the, I wanted to hit her hands. Like she used to hit my hands. I wanted to hit her in the head. And it horrified me, honestly, that that was the, my first response. I did not hit her. I wanted to very, very badly wanted to hit her, but I did not. But yeah, that flashback came so strong and the urge to hurt her, like she used to hurt me came so strong and I was, I was ashamed of it. Mm-hmm. And I really had to think about that and work that out because I had not even thought about that probably since my teen years. Right. We go about life and it's yeah. the stuff that just kind of eventually slowly gets buried and we don't think about it. And then we're in that moment. Cause I, I had a similar moment with mom myself, um, just helping her get into the shower and she was, for whatever reason, sometimes the shower is um, the drudgery, like, oh, come on, let's just get through it. And other times, she's this little kid that comes to life in the shower, and she wants to play. And it's funny to get me wet and get my shoes wet, my clothes wet, and just, you know, I'm not getting in there with you. It's just you in the shower. But I have these moments of her being sassy and mm-hmm. my flashbacks of, I being that sassy little kid and mom's left hand going across my face and I cut the ring that went across the nose. And it's, it's like, Oh, I'm in this moment where, Oh, now it's my turn. Now I get to, and in my mind, I envision spanking her on the butt or Mm -hmm. on the arm or taking away the shower head and flashing her with the water. And yeah, now you know what it feels like, but then, the other side of my mind, thankfully still intact, the rationale kicks in and it's like, okay, she may have done that to you as a kid, but we cannot do that to her now. Now yeah. is a totally different situation, but it doesn't stop that feeling from being there. Like, right. She knows what this feels like. She's got to know what this feels like. Right. But in this situation, not necessarily. My mom, uh, I was visiting with my mom Sunday. This happened this past Sunday. And we were talking about how she had been verbally abusive to some of the staff at Mm -hmm. her community. And they had tried to wake her up earlier than she wanted to get up. And Mm -hmm. she's a little cranky. And we were talking about that and kind of trying to talk through it. And she said, Lane, just hit me. Just Just pinch me. If you hear me being ugly to somebody, hit me. I said, Mom, I'm not gonna hurt you. Why would I hurt you? And she said, but I deserve it. And Mm. I said, no, mom, you've had a stroke and you have vascular dementia Mm -hmm. and the filters that you used to have that kept you from saying the things that Mm -hmm. you were thinking, they're gone. You don't, you don't have control of that anymore. And for me to hurt you because, and this is the way we talk to each other. I'm like, for me to hurt you because you're brain damaged, that's mean. Why would I do that to you? And she said, I just, if you just pinch me and so when I was growing up my mother would pinch bruises onto me 
And part of it was she wanted some, my mom was a bully. You know, she was a bully. That's, that's the right word for it. Mm -hmm. She wanted me to do certain things or she wanted me to play with her and I wasn't interested in playing with her. Uh, or she, we'd be in traffic on uh, coming home from school or work and she's bored in traffic and she wanted something to do. So she would just aggravate the tar out of me mm -hmm. until I would just start to cry and then she would punish me for crying or punish me for raising her voice at her. And when she was like, just pinch me, I thought, oh, God, I would love to just pinch you. <laughs> that would be fabulous. <laughs> Payback's a mother. <laughs> Remember my dad used to always say that. But, you know, that, that's her, that tells you her mindset. Yeah. She does something bad, so she deserves to have something bad happened to her physically exactly and that's the way she was parented so I get to say no you are valuable and I want I want to use gentle hands with you regardless I can't change the past right. I can't change the way she raised me mm -hmm. but I've got to look at myself in the mirror every day and I am really fortunate that I had a great therapist and I've been able to work through a lot of this so that my mom isn't abused. And one of the reasons I like to talk about this is keeping abuse in the dark breeds more abuse. Exactly. And keeping child abuse in the dark leads to elder abuse. Mm -hmm. And so many elderly people are abused. And it's easier to get away with abusing an elderly person because you can say, oh, she fell down. Oh, mm -hmm. she bumped into something. Exactly. And I hope that talking about my experience as a child and talking about my experience as a caregiver helps someone not end up with big old bruises on their arms because they got pinched. Right. And that's the problem is that when we grow up that way, we learn the wrong way of communicating yes. with people, the wrong way of relaying our feelings. You know, I had to tell my, our youngest uh, at some point, you know, it's okay to be angry. And yes. as a three-year-old in daycare, his uh, temper was like, okay, he, he took a little bit after mom, sorry. But his temper, he would react to the kids with the hands, ready, ready to grab someone's throat or ready to grab their arms. And I was like, it's okay to be angry, but it's not okay to act on that in that yeah. way, you know? So it's, and at this point, it's not something that we can actually unlearn. Um, right. It's just like you said, and thankfully you did seek therapy because I had to do the same understanding where this was coming from and finding a way to feel comfortable with it and not feeling so shameful every time those memories would bubble up. And mm -hmm. if you're in the middle of, preparing a meal. And I've had times where mom, I worked so hard preparing the meal, trying to organize the day. So everything's done and her routine is smooth and hopefully to alleviate as much reactions from her throughout the day. But to finally put a plate in front of her and have her say, ew, I don't want that. And mm -hmm. I thought, I remember so many times as a kid as I would never be able to get away with that. Or the spoons right. that were shoved in my mouth because I was being the finicky little kid that didn't want what they, not that they could afford to put much on the table, but I was like, eh, 
you know, and so having those moments and seeing my own mother turn around and do that, it's like, oh, and then I thought, How oh, you? yeah, this is what she must have felt like when I was a kid. <laughs> but so in your book, I love that you talk about this because caring for our parents and stopping the abuse and even recognize that it's there because there's others that it's there and they don't recognize it because they justified it so much in their mind that it's because of the moment at hand. It was okay because of that moment. It happened that way in the next time it, it, it was okay because, well, I did, I reacted this way because they did this. And a lot of this unfortunately comes back to the lack of knowledge of how to understand connecting and, and uh, relating with someone who is living with dementia. Right. So thank you for mentioning that in your book. One of the things I did mention, or I wanted to see if you would go over, is um, in the promotion for your book, you did mention that you never expected to have to take away her keys. Yes. So I know she is in memory care now, but... You had this wonderful quote that you included is, in taking ownership of my mother's keys, I've locked myself into a journey as her caregiver. From your background, the abusive background, what was that like for you to take away her keys at that point? Uh, it was hard. Um, I kind of used guerrilla tactics to do it, honestly. My my grandfather gave up his car keys after he caused a terrible car accident. Mm -hmm. He kept driving until he nearly killed someone. Mm -hmm. And then he gave up his car keys. And then my grandmother, we're talking about my mom's parents. Mm -hmm. uh, my grandmother gave up her keys very easily. Uh, she realized that she couldn't see well enough to drive anymore. And it, it hurt her heart to do it because she loved the freedom of driving, but she gave up her keys easily. And my mom and I had always talked about the difference between my grandparents. And my mom was like, when it's time, I'm not going to make it hard for you. That was a lie. <laughs> because uh, I had started noticing my mother was, she was acting weird. I didn't know it was dementia because mm. my mother's always been erratic and strange and some of this behavior, I just thought it was erratic and strange. But one of her coworkers and one of her very best friends, her, her very best friend actually, reached out to me and said, I'm really worried about Joan's driving. I'm really worried she's going to hurt someone and herself. Mm. But the way she's driving, I'm really concerned. And I brought that up to her and she lost her mind just ra raising her voice really got ugly about it and then cut off those two friends to this day will not speak to them because of all the things she can and cannot remember mm -hmm. she remembers that they said she was a bad driver <laughs> so <laughs> she won't have anything to do with them but in 2017 I had gone over to my mother's house because she quit answering her phone and I was really afraid I was gonna find a corpse but I got over to her house, rang the doorbell, knocked on the door, no answer, no answer. So I had a key. So I went in and she was just wandering around her living room and she only had a shirt on and my mom always dressed. So 
to see her pantsless, it was a shock. Mm -hmm. uh, she didn't know what day it was. She wasn't sure where she was. So I got her dressed and I asked her when was the last time she'd eaten. She wasn't sure. So I'm like, maybe I know she's got issues with diabetes that she's not treating. So maybe she needs to eat. Took her to eat, got her, got some food in her and she started making a little more sense. And then I was like, I can't take her home. If I take her home, something really terrible is going to happen. I'm just going to take her to my house. So I took her back to my house and dropped her off with my husband and son. I went back to her house and packed a bag for her and brought it back to my house. She stayed at my house for two weeks until I could get her into a senior living community. Mm. I moved her directly into the senior living community and never took her back to her house and never gave her back her car. Good for <laughs> so, you. Um, that it's... I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that was a shady way to get her the help she needed, but it was the only way I could get her that help she needed because she was still in gross denial that anything was wrong. Right. And she had untreated diabetes and untreated heart disease. She was not taking the medications that the doctor prescribed. She was not eating a diet that was healthy for her. Mm -hmm. And by the time I got her into the senior living community, it was clear she could never live by herself yeah. again. And then she would start asking me, it took, it really took about six weeks before she even realized she didn't have access to a vehicle. Oh, wow. And then when she did, and she started asking me for her car, I told her I was going to need to see significant improvement before I would bring her car to her. Uh, that if she could tell me from where she was located, how to get to my house, which was less than a mile away. Then I would let her drive my car, but I needed to know she wasn't going to get lost and she could never do it. So I would never let her drive my car. And then uh, I told her later that a doctor was going to have to sign off on her mm -hmm. being able to drive. Exactly. And then one day she told me, well, you may as well just sell my car. And I said, okay. And I did. <laughs> exactly <laughs> and she said she asked for a car I said you told me to sell it she said I didn't mean it I said oh I'm so sorry it's gone I thought now. You meant it. and she said well now you have to go buy me a new car and I said oh but mom we can't because um your driver's license expired which was not true her driver's license had not expired mm. but uh, then she said okay fine but to this day uh several years later she regularly asks me when I'm going to get her a new car mm -hmm. and when she can drive again. Yeah. Like never old woman, never. You, you, that's what you want to say. And you probably continually say it, but that's not what they're hearing or right. what they can remember. And this right. is the hard part. When we watch our family members go from being this responsible, educated, you know, athletic you know, high energy, strong individual. And then all of a sudden they're this irrational, reclusive, hurtful person that can't take care of themselves. And yeah. I know you probably felt like it was the hard thing to do or it was the bad way to approach it, but you actually responded and you did exactly what needed to be done. Because I think other caregivers that gradually step into this situation and so they see the 
They see the limitations their loved ones have and they fill in the blanks right away. They do the activities for them. And so they don't see or register the lack of their loved one's abilities. And so as the time passes and these issues that come up, like taking away the keys for obvious reasons, it's a challenge. And when you have these emotional backgrounds like we experience and these flashbacks of what your parents were like, sometimes it's that fear comes in of what are they going to do to me when I Mm-hmm. make this decision for them, even though it's for their well-being and their safety. You're like, what are they going to do to me if I do this? And how is this going to, how is the fallout going to be with, it's one thing to have a verbal argument and just yelling mm-hmm. at each other because, you know, at some point things will calm down or we'll be able to have a little bit more of a conversation about it. But it's hard to make that decision. And, but it's just as hard to walk away and not do anything. Something else I said in the book is that I was afraid of my mother. I, I would be up to the time I took over her life. I was afraid of her. I was afraid of what her reaction was going to be. Mm-hmm. I was afraid that she would. My mother, um, again, had untreated, undiagnosed mental health issues, mm-hmm. and she would regularly threaten self-harm. Mm-hmm. If, if I was not doing what she wanted, or if, uh, if I was, if she thought I was keeping her from doing something, she would threaten self-harm. And she, she still does this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was afraid she would do something to herself. And I was afraid that maybe she would stop talking to me. Maybe she would stop loving me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because one way she used to punish me when I was young was with the silent treatment. If I did something she didn't like, she'd say, I can't even be in the same room with you. I can't even look at you. And once went actually two full weeks without speaking to me or looking me in the eye. And so I I was afraid of that. And then even when I had her in the... Originally, I moved her into an independent living community because it was so close to my house. Mm-hmm. And I was afraid to have certain conversations with her. I was afraid to have conversations in front of her doctor with her because she would tell the doctor one thing. And I'm like, that's not true. Exactly. But for me to say to my mother in front of someone else, an authority figure, that she was not telling the truth. I mean, that's something that growing up, would have been dire punishment and that doesn't go away just because you grow up and that doesn't go away just because you uh, are now taking over as a caregiver those things still come up Mm -hmm. and it's easier and easier for me but last month we were in the doctor's office and she didn't understand why we were there and she was telling the doctor one thing and I put my hand on top of her hand and I said, mom, do you, do you mind if, if I butt in? Because I think you're a little confused about which appointment we're in and you're not even talking to the doctor about the right body part. So do you mind if I tell him mm-hmm. this? And she <laughs> huffed at me a little bit and then she said, well, fine. Yeah, mm-hmm. go ahead. So it is easier now, but it's still, there's the, the fear of retaliation there's the fear of talking back I'm sassing my own mother and then there's the 
I don't want to shame her and I don't want to embarrass her. So trying to take all those gross emotions and turn it into a careful, thoughtful, kind behavior is difficult. (laughs) Very. That's putting it lightly to say that. I feel like I can agree with everything you just said. I've gone through the same thing with my mother and it's been... It's been a challenge. And the only way I learned to work around that was being able to jot down quick details of what was happening with mom and getting it to the doctors before we got there so that the doctor knew exactly what to ask, or at least the nurses. And then the nurses would relay it to the doctor when the doctor entered the room. So I could sit back and act like, I don't know, maybe they can just, maybe they can just tell. They they, maybe they can see it from your reports. (laughs) And every once in a while, she would look at me and right away and just kind of that look of, did you say something? How else would they know? <laughs> and I'm just, we're here for them to help you. You might as well let them know what's going on. And suddenly it was the, I don't remember, or I'm fine. Is your mom a good faker? Because oh. my mom, if I take her to the doctor, she can be as out of it as she can be in absolute outer space. The doctor walks into the room and you would think she is perfectly fine. Yeah. Yes. And then the doctor walks out and she's just Bleh, It's so frustrating <laughs> because you know something is not right. You know they need something to help and change. And, and sometimes you just want validation that, that right. you're not the one that's going crazy. You, you want to look at the doctor and say, Are, you're seeing this, right? This, this is not <laughs> all in my head, right? And then, my yes, mother, my mother knows exactly how to act and that has still continues to be it's getting to be less now so others see it's more of the mind degrading more but Mm -hmm. before they would tell me that's how she always is or and it still drives me nuts when I have someone tell me she's so with it I'm thinking, well, you just, you were just around her for a half an hour, maybe an hour. Why don't you 24 seven, you will see she is not still with it. So it's frustrating. I totally get that. The first memory care I had my mom in, one of the, one of the nurses was actually kind of ugly about it. She's like, your mother doesn't belong here. I don't know Mm -hmm. why you're keeping your mother in memory care. She was neat. And I said, well, she can't figure out how to walk in a straight line from her room to the dining room so that's part of it and Mm -hmm. you'll probably see that but yeah she can carry on a great conversation yeah and this lady was telling me she's like she told me all about the business she used to run and how she did this 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 I'm like yeah but see that never happened that (laughs) (laughs) she was giving this woman business advice and the woman was how great the business advice was and I'm like yeah that um I don't know what TV show she saw that on, but my mother has never owned a dress shop. So yeah. Isn't that incredible? They, yes, that's another podcast altogether, (laughs) but they don't, you know, meanwhile, you're having these mixed emotions and you're trying to manage their care and you've got the past in your head. You've got the present moment and you're worrying about the future of what happens from this present moment and they're taking everything from them face value and they're the ones looking back at you as if you don't know what you're talking about yes 
<laughs> yeah, that is so incredibly frustrating, which is why I love that in your book you have also the question that you ask, what did I do to deserve this, basically? Paraphrasing for you, but you asked that to karma. You to yeah. karma. What did I do to deserve this? Because I know I've asked myself that several times when I have those flashbacks and I would automatically tell myself, you're having to deal with this because remember when you were a kid, you did X, Y, Z and you <laughs> drove her crazy. And this was that moment that the principal called or it just in my mind, I kind of justified these were at, in the beginning anyways, these were punishments for my mm -hmm. childhood. And these flashbacks were reminders so that I wouldn't forget. And so I convinced myself that these were punishments. But I love that you come back in there and you say, sometimes karma responds to you. Sometimes you just suffer the fallout of the choices other people have made. And mm -hmm. I thought, oh my gosh, you hit it right, right there on top of that. It, the choices that that is part of what inspired me to write my book was because the proactive part of it is our choices that make all the difference in the world. And you've experienced it so many times with your mom and all the choices she's made and all the choices with everyone else around her and you in her care. And it just makes it so challenging. Yeah, my, my mother has vascular dementia because she chose not to treat her diabetes and she chose not to treat her heart disease. Mm -hmm. And she had two strokes for the same reason. Yeah. Uh, so she made conscious choices that led us to where we are today because she didn't uh, and still doesn't believe in Western medicine. She gets really angry with me when I take her to a doctor because she doesn't believe in doctors. She mm -hmm. believes in herbs and essential oils. Mm -hmm. And her, her doctor did say that probably the only thing that kept her alive as long as it did was the fact that she was taking herbs and taking her vitamins wow. because otherwise she should have been dead based on the numbers that she was presenting when I finally got her into the hospital. And it, I had to trick her into the hospital. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, I feel like sometimes, sometimes I feel like I have a toddler and I'm having to like lure her with treats mm -hmm. or lure her with exactly. experiences. And <laughs> it's, it's an interesting thing, but yeah, I, I'm like, why, why, what did I do? Well, I didn't do anything. My mom did this to herself. Exactly. And my mom, the other thing my mom did to herself was she did a lot right with me when I was growing up. So I stick around because I love her yeah. and because it's the right thing to do. Now, I say that I could not have my mother live with me. Right. There's no way I could have my mother live with me because I, I don't, I don't know how far my patience extends mm -hmm. and I am constantly fighting with myself to treat her with gentle hands mm -hmm. and to be gentle with her. And sometimes the best care for her, for me, looks like me walking out of her community yes. and staying away for a few days. Mm -hmm. That's what is safest for her. I will always do what is going to keep her safe and what's going to keep me safe. 
and what's going to keep my family safe and what keeps me mentally safe is not living with my mother because I'm afraid I would hurt her. I agree. I hope I would. I I hope I would. I know you wouldn't just the the little bits that we have been able to share. I understand. (laughs) And I know, because I feel the same thing. My mother started with vascular dementia and she, everything, and that's where a lot of my anger came from. Everything that she was experiencing was because of her own doing, her poor choices, her poor Mm -hmm. habits. And so I felt like I was being punished. Why am I the one having to take care of you now when you made these horrible choices in life? But I had to get past that and I had to realize, because just like you said, I love her because there were so many things that she put me on the right path and so many things she did for me as a child. Yes, there were those moments that I think every parent has it because no more than I was born with the patch on my back that says, raise this one this way, is the same yeah. thing with mom now living with dementia. There's no like hidden patch under her scalp that her, under her hair that says, <laughs> treat her this way with dementia or care for her this way. She's going to have this form of dementia first and then this. And th- There's no way for us to know other than go through the motions and kind of cope with these feelings of resentment and anger and find our way through them because I'm sure is your mother is still alive and still living in the memory care just as mine is and just as this last week when I was with her those flashbacks do not stop Mm -mm. I am grateful for the times that it's a beautiful moment like yesterday she when I was visiting with her she actually told me thank you in a very beautiful way and I thought, oh, I wish I could have recorded that. It, she says it when I least expect it. And this is only the second time. And it's happened mm. after now that she's been in memory care. Thank you so much for all you do for me. And I thought, I could have responded in a nasty way. Finally, you recognize. But I just took it for what it was and said, no, thank you, Mom, for everything you've done for me. And it just, in that moment, that all that resentment and anger and it just kind of lifted. It's not gone. It lifted. And it was just that moment of thank you. Thank you, God, for that. I absolutely yeah. needed it after the weeks that I've had with her prior to that. So it's, unfortunately, this is the the process mm-hmm. that we go through. And it's it doesn't change um, from person to person. But one other thing that I feel is happening, and you might have experienced this because I know I have, is when you go through these emotions and you have these thoughts, these things that are bouncing around your mind and breaking your heart at the same time and unsettling in your stomach, and then someone comes up to you and says, you're such a saint for caring for your mother. You're such a good daughter. You're an amazing human being to do all this stuff. Okay, now, how does that set your mind (laughs) off? What direction do you go with that? I'm so glad that's what they see. Um, (laughs) But honestly, it aggravates me a little because I I don't think I'm an amazing person for doing the right thing. I, I, you know, I, I take care of my mom because it's the right thing to do. My mom did some bad things. Okay, everybody does some bad things. 
I think in the book, I talk about that saying that there are two wolves that live inside you and mm-hmm. one is the good wolf and one is the bad wolf. Yes. And the wolf that you feed is the one that will survive. But for me, that bad wolf doesn't, doesn't need a lot of food. That bad wolf is strong and that bad mm-hmm. wolf is healthy exactly. and that bad wolf is ready to come out snarling. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to do hardly anything to keep that guy in good shape. I have to work really hard to feed that good wolf. <laughs> and man, that that is the scrawniest one. <laughs> That's a perfect analogy. Oh my goodness. Yeah. My my bad wolf can eat up can live off of fumes just Yes. <laughs> Like my bad wolf doesn't need food. He's he's done. He's good. He's a robot wolf. Um, so I'm glad that my family, my friends, or people at the grocery store mm-hmm. see me treating my mother in a way that makes them go, "Oh, you're so kind," yes. because that means that I'm doing it right and I'm not letting out what is actually in. Right. So I appreciate it, but at the same time, it's like, come on, man, I'm not that great. This is what you should do. Right. right. This is just, it's the right thing to do. I don't deserve a cookie. And maybe, you know what? Maybe I do deserve a cookie. Maybe it's like my mother saying, please hit me, please pinch me because I deserve to be hurt. Maybe I feel like I don't deserve praise Mm -hmm. because of, you know, the way I was raised. Yeah. That's, that's why I, whenever I would hear it, I felt the same way. I'm just doing my job as a daughter. Um, at the same time, I'm just accepting my punishment because that's how I saw it. But then as the years went by and I did seek therapy and I did go through a lot of this stuff afterwards, I thought, huh, this is what compassion is supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. This is grace. This is mercy. This is love. Mm -hmm. And so now, even though I cannot get back those years, just as you said, I cannot get back those years. I cannot change anything. And even now looking back, I don't think I would change anything if I had the chance, just because it creates the character. We, We as caregivers become that diamond in the rough. It changes you in a different direction because here it is you've got a beautiful book coming out that is something that probably would not have come to be if you weren't so close to this and to her in your caregiving journey and it's something that other caregivers will read and resonate with and the main thing that works for me and what helped me even going through the the information that you shared with me was it's validation. You said it in such perfect ways that, you know, there's so many caregivers out there I hear that say they love what they do. And that's not just the professionals who are taking care of strangers. There Mm -hmm. are family members that say that. And there's that part of me that says, you're lying. (laughs) Cause I know what it's really like. And I don't, always love what I do. I may like it, but I don't always love what I do. So you have given a voice to to those caregivers in your book. You know, my mother is not the only person I've cared for. My mother and I cared for both 
her mother and father in our home from 1998 to uh, 2005. My grandfather passed in 2003, but we had my grandmother until 2005. So I didn't, my grandparents didn't abuse me. I loved my grandparents. My grandfather hung the moon. Mm. I could not have loved that man more. I was 27 years old when they moved into the house. I moved back into the house to help my mother take care of them. So I was a full grown adult. As much as I love that man, as much as I would have done anything in the world and did do anything in the world for that man, I did not enjoy being his caregiver because I didn't enjoy seeing him so diminished. I did not enjoy wiping his bottom. I did not enjoy changing and cleaning his feeding tube. I found no pleasure in that. I found pleasure in his company, but then eventually he was diminished to the point that it was just the body that I was caring for. The, The man was gone. My grandfather was gone. And that was, that was heartbreaking and traumatic. And if people find pleasure in that, more power to them. But I, I did not. It just hurt me. It just hurt. It just hurt every day. It hurt. And that's what caregiving this journey includes. Everybody's on a somewhat similar journey, especially when dementia is involved. And it's, I mean, when we take the time to be honest and truthful, that's what it comes down to. And that's exactly why we're needed. Yeah. Unfortunately. So I am so glad you were able to get this story down, not just share it with me, uh, bits of it with me today, but get it down in the book. The title of the book that comes out on May 12th, 2022 is... It's Taking Away the Keys of Mom Yes, Taking (laughs) Away the Keys. There you go. And that's another thing that I know many caregivers will definitely resonate with because that moment happens eventually one way or the other. And so... Um, how do our listeners find your information? Where can they find your books or illustrations if they want to get more of that information? The projects that I mentioned as well. Thank you. All of my books are available at through any bookseller. They may have to be ordered at the, the guest desk, but they, you can just go to a guest desk or go to Amazon or go to like Barnes Noble website and type in my name. And my books are either under Lane Morris Buckman, which is my full name, or Lane Buckman, which is my married name, or if you want the smutty romance, <laughs> Nicole Lane. I love uh, it. <laughs> I was working as a banker, and I didn't think it was a good idea for a banker to be writing smutty romance. So, are you kidding? <laughs> you know, there's going to be a caregiver out there that's going to read that just to bring a little joy into their days. <laughs> I mean, I enjoyed writing it. So, uh, but yeah, I'm available anywhere you like to buy your books, half price books, uh, books, a million Barnes and Noble, Amazon. Awesome. That is so cool. Thank you for sharing your time with me today. I appreciate it because this is going to validate so many other caregivers who are experiencing the same thing and not understanding or realizing that it's normal and there's other there's ways that we can respond to this we can either feed the good wolf or we can feed the bad wolf 
thank you so much for letting me have the conversation with you because it feels so good to talk to somebody who understands. Exactly. Oh, I, yes. Thank you for saying that because I actually, I get that 100%. So this is an exciting opportunity for caregivers and I want them to know going forward that you know, if you are in the situation where you're experiencing these ca- these caregiver flashbacks and you don't know what to do with it, please, as Lane and I mentioned, seek therapy. Get That is a very normal and healthy thing to do. There is no shame in it involved. It will help you along your caregiver journey. And if you get to the point where you cannot get past these flashbacks in, as far as caring for your loved one, it is also normal and healthy to step away from your loved one. Just make sure they have care and they're covered while you step away and take care of you because you cannot take care of your loved one if you don't take care of yourself. And I want to leave you with one last thought. Just as Lane mentioned earlier, you can't go back and change the beginning but you can start where you are to change the end. And that is a quote from C.S. Lewis. But Lane and I have both experienced these flashbacks tell you, you can't change it. It's how you react to it that makes the difference. So thank you for joining in today. I hope this gave you more food for thought. And until next time, be proactive, everybody. Take care. Thank you for joining us today. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode. To learn more about proactive caregiving and to hear other episodes of this podcast, please visit www.jessicalizellcannon.com. This podcast is produced by Canon Light Media, LLC, www.canonlightmedia.com. Music provided by Chris Paradise. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.